0: And now, swing trading on Trade the Pool with any U.S. stock or ETF. The procedure is straightforward. Pay an evaluation fee, successfully complete the evaluation, and get funded. Visit tradethepool.com forward slash chat to learn more. The biggest secret of the best traders in the world is that they're just like everyone else. However, they've worked hard to learn the markets and discover what works and what doesn't. But how can you hear about these journeys and get in on the strategies and tactics they use? You can do it by listening to Chat with Traders. Here's your host, Aaron Fifield.
1: Hey, what's good, team? Thanks for joining me on another episode of Chat with Traders This week, we're pulling back the curtains and shining some light on the often dark and mysterious inner workings of our financial markets. Folks, meet Peter Zhang, a major in quantitative finance who was once without a home, dirt poor and had the odds stacked against him. But with a point to prove and the hustler's ambition, he chased down a mentor who carefully showed him the ropes and gradually transformed him into a trader who could make smart decisions and smart trades. Fast forward a few years, Peter now leads the hedge fund operations at Sanglucci Capital Partners, including a completely automated high-frequency trading fund. He also has a mind-blowing understanding of market structure, as you are about to witness. But just before we get into it, don't forget the Lucci Method giveaway is now in full swing. So if you haven't entered already, be sure to make your way over to chatwithtraders.com forward slash giveaway and enter now. The Lucci Method is a premium trading package offered by today's guest, Pete, and his team at Sanglucci. You can purchase this any day of the week for $2,699, but for listeners of the show, we have one to give away 100% free. So the Lucci Method includes an extensive online course with over 75 training modules, access to the Sanglucci chat room, access to the weekend sessions, which are live webinars and Q&A with Lucci himself, plus a bonus one-hour personal coaching session with Zach Hurwitz. And there's a bunch of other things the guys have thrown in there as well. So to enter, just go to chatwithtraders.com forward slash giveaway, answer the very simple multi-choice question, and punch in your email address. As soon as you do this, you'll see a unique URL pop up. Take this URL and share it like mad. Because for every entry that comes through your unique URL, you'll receive an additional 10 entries. So if 10 people enter through your unique URL, you score 100 entries. It's very easy to dramatically increase your chances of winning. All right, guys. Now, brace yourself. We're about to go deep into the markets. Here is this week's interview with Peter Zane. All right, Pete, what's going on, man?
2: Not much, man. How are you?
1: Good, good, good. How's your day been?
2: It's been busy, as usual. You know, I'm always uh, running around, juggling a million things.
1: Fair, cool. You've, um, you've got guys in the office this week for the, the live Luchi method, is that right?
2: We do. We certainly do.
1: How's that going?
2: It's gone. We actually have uh, Luchi filming um, on the other side of the offices right now. Um, he is yelling at half the people in there. So uh, I think it's going well.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, um, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. And um, there's a lot I want to talk to you about today, Um, especially market structure and a little bit about automation too. So both really interesting topics. Um, And I know you know a lot about both. So um, and of course, if you want to add anything or go further into a certain topic as we go going, then feel free to do that.
2: Sure, will do.
1: But um, I mean, before we get into that, I know you, you have a really interesting story on how you came up. So do you want to just take us back to the beginning and you know tell us a bit about where did it all start for you?
2: Sure. Uh, the very beginning, huh? All right. So let's see. The very beginning, uh, well, I studied uh, essentially finance, quantitative finance, um, which is, you know, pricing options, uh, present value, future cash flows, stuff like that, uh, econometrics with a minor in math and economics. So I had a pretty early exposure academically to, um, you know, I guess the markets. Um, None of this was actually really, you know, applicable for a long time. Um, And so this was back in like, so I went to school 2005. um, It was about 2008 when I started actually trading. Um, Didn't have much money. So actually, you know, just like the majority of traders out there, the first thing you do is you go online to look at kind of like, what the heck can you trade? So found out uh, about uh, shorting pump and dumps. And even though I was learning, you know, Black-Scholes equation, Monte Carlo simulations, you know, and programming in Java and C++, uh, I still gravitated towards, you know, shorting pop and dumps because I had a small amount of money and uh, seemed like, um, you know, easy way to, you know, make some cash flow. Open up an account, blew up a couple of accounts um, and, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was a rocky road at first and then nailed a couple big options trades. Actually, I had to think of some account at the time, uh, nailed a couple, uh, big options trades and then, uh, continued to kind of explore the future space, uh, open up a prop account, uh, which I was doing okay in. And, uh, you know, I guess the, the interesting side of the story uh, is the life side of the story, I guess. So at that time, uh, I was relatively young. I was just uh, getting out of college in 2009-ish. And in 2009, uh, quantitative finance or financial engineering uh, was frowned upon by the entirety of Wall Street because that was right after the crash. Uh, and they blamed the quants uh, for not knowing what the heck they were doing. So even though... You know, my graduating class only had seven people in, you know, my major. Um, we were, you know, seen as pariahs. Um, and so there weren't really many jobs um, out there for me. And uh, honestly, I wasn't the best student. Um, always loved to cut corners. Always loved to get in trouble here and there. And so, you know, um, studying was not my uh, in you Know my forte, and also obeying other people's rules was not my forte either. Uh, so, any job that I had, essentially, I found a way to uh, make money at the job by going around my bosses to their bosses, and so always, you know, had a great time getting in trouble with uh, employers. And so, at the time, still trading, um, actually had gotten married, moved to Florida had a tiny futures account, which, uh, was not doing too hot. And, um, you know, unfortunately because, you know, kind of the natural progression of, you know, moving and just getting married and then not having a stable job and not making that much money in trading, uh, I actually got divorced. Um, and it was probably one of the, you know, worst times in my life at that time. And so, you know, thankfully, you know, I was, uh, you know, under the tutelage of some uh, decent traders out there, um, they saw some hope in me. And um, uh, this was actually Canal from Bulls on Wall Street. That's where I originally started learning uh, more in depth about, you know, a little bit of technical analysis, you know, uh, developing stomach tolerance and all that type of stuff. And also helping build businesses. You know, at that time, Bulls on Wall Street was also just a fledgling. And um, at that time, it was just Mary Beth, Canal, and myself uh, I was scanning through 400 stocks a night, learning the uh, double bottom, booty bounces, and stuff like that. And um, it got—I uh, got pretty good at it. Um, you know, any money that I made at the time, um, you know, I essentially sent back to my ex-wife. And it was a very depressing moment in my life. And I was actually homeless for a little bit. Um, whenever I could get my hands on a computer or some Wi-Fi. I would be looking at charts, talking to Canal, and trying to get my life together. Found a couple of jobs. Fast forward a little bit, um, you know, uh, you know, traded myself out of being an idiot. Um, actually, through a bit of scalping, um, did relatively well on a couple of accounts, um, and essentially at that time. Uh, whatever money, again, whatever money I did made was sent away. And I really only had about, you know, always fluctuating between negative 50 bucks and like a hundred bucks in my bank account. Um, and so, you know, after spending a lot of time online, um, you know, I met, uh, or I, I found about, found out about saying uh, crazy options trader, you know, I had some options background. Uh, thought about it academically and thought about you know what Lucci was doing generally with his returns and how he was a good trader and how he had a good reputation on the street, and so I told Canal that you know I wanted to go meet Lucci, and all I had was uh, sixty bucks in my name at the time, which you can actually buy a ticket from LA to Las Vegas with sixty dollars, and so what had happened was that um, Tim Sykes was actually putting on a um, a, a show at the time in Vegas. You know, Canal was going to be there. Uh, Lucci was going to be there. And I was like, I got to go to this thing. So I go with all the money that I had, expecting that Canal was going to pay for everything for me. Um, I crashed on his floor for the few days that I was there. And somehow I convinced Lucci to start a hedge fund together. And I was like, hey, you've got great returns. Um, you know, we should start a hedge fund, start expanding out some operations. And so he was like, whatever, you know, this is some crazy kid uh, that wants to do something. And so he actually said, Hey, stay in touch and, uh, let me know, uh, if you actually want to do this and if you can get all the backing together, all the work together and do all the leg work, uh, I'm down. And so fast forward a little bit. Uh, we ended up in New York and we started St. Lucci Capital Partners and uh, Lucci has been trading that. He has been the head trader there. Um, and the time in New York that we spent together, we bumped into Heim Bodic as well. There's a whole entire story there. Uh, I won't go into too much depth there, but uh, you know, kept going and kept going, formed another hedge fund um, that is actually now a fully automated uh, high-frequency trading fund. Um it's, uh, it's pretty fancy. Uh, we picked up, uh, Ezra Rappaport, which hopefully you will get to speak to at some point. Um, and, uh, you know, we kept expanding. Um, you know, we were at a loft at first. Everybody knows the infamous Lucci loft. Uh, we were there for a little bit of a while, you know, expanded operations, made some money, um, beefed up the educational business. And then now, uh, you know, we are kind of guinea pigs for WeWork. Um, the co-working space, so they actually shove us into their uh, their new offices to show off because we have so many screens. And um, you know, lo and behold, um, you know, we've got two hedge funds now that are running very well, and, uh, and we're here now.
1: Awesome! That that's quite a story. <laughs> um, so yeah. let, Let's just backpedal a little bit. Um, so, in the first place, like, where did the interest in trading actually spark from?
2: Uh, the interest from trading sparked from the idea of not having to work for anybody. You know, I had the general inclination for disobeying uh, bosses and stuff. So I was just like, I need to find a way to be sustainable on my own. And um, you know, uh, growing up as you know, first generation Chinese out here, also, you know, you have something to prove you know, uh, usually I feel like that is the trader's story. They want to prove something to either themselves or to somebody else. So.
1: Yeah. I think a lot of people could, um, could relate to that one. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. so you've got some pretty serious qualifications behind you, such as the major in quantitative finance, etc. Um, a lot of traders don't really go down that path of trying to get a higher education. So what was your motive in taking this route? Um, like, were you trying to, <laughs> end up in investment banking or do you want to dive you know, a little bit
2: you know I actually did not want to even do it um, my first year in college I wanted to go become um, somebody in the field of uh, you know physiology and um, wanted to go down that route uh, quantitative finance was actually something that my dad had uh, forced me into it was kind of like you either do this or we're disowning you type of deal and so there was a lot of resentment. Um, honestly, it was not my cup of tea. Uh, found some things I liked here and there. Uh, more along the lines of econometrics and uh, learning how to you know, follow you know, like logic trees uh, backwards and forwards and all this type of stuff. Um, but honestly, I did not like it. It was, uh, it was not my cup of tea. I did not want to do it. <laughs>
1: Okay, sure. So I'm sure it's helped you out a lot to where you get to where you're at right now, though.
2: Um, honestly, you know, this is something, you know, I've actually gone back to James Madison, my, uh, my college, and I've actually talked to former students or students that are there now. And uh, honestly, um, I would say that I use less than, uh, less than 10% of what I learned in college, even in quantitative finance and then, you know, somehow coming full circle into options market making and stuff like that, um, I would say that I've used less than 10% of it. What I've learned mostly, um, you know, where I picked up most of the skills is actually just being exposed to good traders, um, to being open-minded and just, you know, having a little bit of rigor behind, you know, if I'm interested in it, I'm going to chase this down until I understand it. Um, and also just hustling, you know, like it's, you know, being divorced and then being, in, you know, semi-homeless for a little bit. And then, you know, having nothing in your name, you know, uh, what's that saying uh, where, um, you know, essentially uh, necessity breeds innovation. Um, and that's kind of how, you know, I actually was able to sink my teeth into a lot of the complex stuff that we do now. Um, I would, again, you know, like the schooling, the way they taught it my ability to soak it up was minimal uh i was actually much better at just being surrounded by a pool of really good traders and i was able to learn from you know a fixed income trader about yield curves learn about uh vol curves and market making around theoretical values through you know uh, high frequency options make market makers and then understand flow relationships just based upon you know the very simple dynamics of you know how to trade you know when you buy and sell stock You know, you are, you know, engaging in a a real market. And, you know, everything that I've learned um, in terms of diving into market structure, uh, negotiating flow deals, uh, clearing relationships and just setting up even the hedge fund, it's all about the trade. You know, Um, can you understand what your counterparty wants? Um, can you understand what their angles are you know can you understand uh, what we call the symmetry of the trade is you know uh, where do you have asymmetric returns meaning that you actually have a little bit extra knowledge you either understand the angles better or you have ways of pairing up these trades where you gain more uh, profit um, than your counterparty and that's honestly how it all grew very very basic just you know learning to understand others listening um and just being real into it you know is that paid off much more for me than uh, what i learned in school
1: okay yeah that's really interesting i'm, I'm surprised that sort of only 10 percent of what you learned you actually use today so i mean that, that's yeah well, it's
2: just a fraction isn't it um it is totally a fraction, and that's like um you know sorry to interrupt but like it's just kind of like uh it's, it's the same story for floor traders and even some of the best traders out there uh, that I know. Um, even some of the best, you know, uh, CEOs of companies are dropouts from their schools. And, you know, they learn from just being surrounded by it. You know, a lot of the best floor traders that went upstairs... You know, they did have some schooling in math, but, you know, they learn and they, you know, really able to sink their teeth into things by going onto the floor of trading, you know, being surrounded by, seeing people bid, seeing people offer, and then seeing scary, you know, scary events happen. You know, that's how they actually learn uh, how to trade the markets.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, they learn by becoming, you know, pretty much a product of their environment. Um, Exactly. Yeah. So, you spoke about um, how you... Uh, met Connal from Bulls of Wall Street and he sort of became a mentor um, to you. How did you actually sort of land him and, or sort of come across him or, you know, get introduced to him?
2: Sure. Um, honestly, everything has been through Twitter. Um, a friend of a friend of a friend was like, uh, you should get on Twitter and follow these guys that are talking about these stocks. And so that's what I did. And Canal had a very large following. You know, he posted a lot of really good p I was like, oh, this guy uh, should know his stuff. And so I just reached out to him. And, um, you know, that's just kind of how things grew. And the funny thing is that, um, you know, the majority of the business that we do and the recruitment even, uh, whether it's, you know, the technology recruitment or portfolio manager recruitment, is mostly done through Twitter. You know, I've had a lot of introductions through other broker dealers, cap intro guys, uh, recruiters and all that, those are more hit or miss than me just reading and seeing what people are saying on Twitter. Um, There's a certain way a real trader speaks on Twitter where, you know, if you get enough screen time, just like if you're trading enough screen time, you can actually see who's for real and who's not. And um, Canal is the first one, you know, uh, then Lucci. Uh, we even found Chaim on Twitter, too. Uh, you know, Charlie was reading Dark Pools, and he was like, you guys should, you know, read this book. And I was like, screw it. I actually didn't even read Dark Pools. I was like, I'm just going to reach out to this guy. And I hit him up on Twitter, and that's actually how we landed Haim, too. Um, Ezra now, you know, one of our flagship portfolio managers, I met on Twitter as well. He was talking about, you know, Highland Park and um and uh you know and treasury futures and i was like this guy seems cool we should just invite him over and lo and behold we're now doing business with him so
1: yeah yeah that's that's crazy like how many twit how many traders are just so active on twitter these days um how important do you think the role was that canal played in your sort of upcoming and education to becoming a better and more profitable trader like do you think that um if he hadn't come into the picture you would maybe not be where you are now or your learning curve would have been much more uh, drawn out?
2: Definitely. Um, I mean, I was on a horrible path by myself, you know, not having best practices on how to understand risk, not having best practices on um, understanding that there is a whole emotional side to my trade. Um, I was just gunning for trades left and right with my prop account. And, uh, canal was really, um, even just the role of doing his scans for him, you know, scanning through 400 names every single night for like an entire year, um, just made me that much better at being able to pick the cream of the crop setups, uh, versus, you know, uh, some okay setups and then the worst setups, you know, and, you know, that speaks links to the types of markets that we're in now um you know we actually did an interview recently with a market veteran and you know back in the day in the 90s and early 2000s uh because we were in a raging bull market you just throw darts and somehow all the technicals worked you know to the long side and uh that's not the case now um with how smart you know uh, automated trading is um how all, most of the counterparties are automated traders versus you know dumb retail flow um you really have to pick your spots Um, generally uh, I would say that Canal's biggest effect on me is to remain patient Um, you know let the trades come to you Uh, and I know that's always hard to do uh, because you want to chase after the most active trade you want to chase after the biggest hyperbolic move or whatever it is but really you know you have to let the trades come to you because you need to be prepared for it um, and you need to have a game plan and if you don't Um, you know, especially with the general failure rate of traders, you're just going to expedite that process of you failing. Um, And trading is all about just getting as many, you know, um, uh, you know, variables on lock, essentially. You have to be able to assess for everything. And the only way that you can really do that is by having proper preparation um, and then just a steady head and following your game plan into a lot of these trades.
1: Yeah, that's really good. I like that. So... Do you have any sort of tips for younger traders who are coming up on how they could potentially land a mentor or a trading coach? Uh,
2: check out Sanglucci.com. <laughs> <I'm joking. laughs> uh, I would say, um, you know, uh, go, go on Twitter. Um, check out uh, Bulls on Wall Street. Check out Sanglucci. Um, you know, a general tip is don't be afraid to ask for help. Uh, a lot of um, a lot of young traders out there either are too cocky, and they look at a lot of charts and they say that oh that's an obvious trade I should have done. I could have made you know a hundred thousand dollars on that trade. Um, you know you must be humble. Uh, one of the worst things you can do is you know rage into the markets uh, like you're a super cowboy and then just blow up all your money. Uh, always look for you know. Um, Traders that have an established track record um, and, and all that type of sorts go on Twitter. You know they're they're all over the place. Unfortunately, there's a lot of con artists out there. Um, you know, um, after a while, I learned that um, you know the entire pump and dump world was also kind of a scam. And uh, unfortunately, every trader has to kind of go through these processes. Um, and I would say that you know if you're going to go through it. Uh, take your time find a real mentor uh, honestly you know I have to plug St. we're over here trying to you know do the right thing for all the traders out there um, and uh, you know make sure that you don't have to make all the mistakes um, but yeah
1: yeah no that's really good so um, when you mentioned that you were scanning like 400 charts a night what sort of things were you actually looking for when you were scanning through these and and what sort of, how much time was this taking up out of your day
2: Uh, So, at first, it was taking me about three and a half hours to four hours a night uh, to scan through 400 names. What I would do is look for uh, flag patterns, pennants, um, double bottoms, triple bottoms, um, chop setups, um, all types of stuff. Essentially your, your, your best looking technical setups, right? And then uh, there'd be some layer of uh, some moving averages. Now, I was taught from an early age that moving averages, you know, for the sake of moving averages, is not true supply and demand. It's just kind of to help you guide you on sentiment. So, for instance, like a 200 day moving average, if it starts turning upward, that doesn't mean that your stock has to touch that moving average at all. That just means that your trend is starting to change. Um, And so, you know, I would actually use this. Um, and yeah, so, you know, I'd be scanning for things that were kind of perking up a little bit, uh, slowly turning into a potential breakout or a potential breakdown. Um, and yeah, it took about four hours every night for the first, uh, couple of months. And then I was able to get it down to about 30 minutes, 35 minutes probably, uh, was my best times for running over, uh, 400 names. Uh, You literally just be able to click, 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 click and be able to see, you know, best setups like that. So,
1: yeah, that's pretty good. That's really good. You've
0: seen the headlines. Bonds are making a comeback. But if you've ever tried to invest in bonds, you know what a clunky, complicated, broken experience it can be. That's why at public they took fixed income and fixed it. Now you can find, evaluate, and buy thousands of bonds with an investing experience designed this century. They started at the beginning, reimagining the bond screener with an intuitive design that helps you zero in on the exact kinds of bonds you're looking for. Then,
3: Are you a developing or seasoned day trader who trades the U.S. markets? Is the only thing stopping you from getting to the next level is having enough capital to trade? Once you pass the evaluation, you get funded and trade with their pool of money and split the profits. Don't let the lack of buying power, capital, or fear of losing your own money prevent you from taking your trading to the next level. Visit tradethepool.com slash chat to learn more.
1: Um, So moving along now, you're you're leading the hedge fund operations at Sangluci. Are you still trading a personal account on the side?
2: Uh, I am not. So there was a little bit of time where um, I actually traded with Lucci um, in the Seng Lucci Capital Partners account. We were running strategies together. Uh, he was going purely directional on a lot of these trades. And uh, you guys will learn eventually that you know there's different types of accounts you can have out. There's a Reg T account. There's a portfolio margin account. At the time, we had a portfolio margin account. And, um, you know, uh, our brokers were telling us, hey, you should be, um, you know, taking advantage of the fact that you have a portfolio margin account. And, you know, part of the advantage here is, you know, when you're taking a directional trade and you put a hedge on, which just means that you're doing, uh, you're putting some position on in the opposite direction uh, that you can actually reduce, quote, unquote, the exposure of your portfolio. So a lot of times when Lucci would be, uh, going freaking you know all in on a lot of these long calls. A lot of the names out there weren't moving, and my bread and butter was actually Priceline. And um, what I would do is that I was actually a overall uh, a spread seller in uh, in Priceline. So I would uh, look at kind of uh, how Priceline would be turning at certain times during the day, and I would sell out of the money calls, and then I would hedge it. Um, as it came in with the stock, uh, or sometimes with uh, with some uh, with other options. Um, a lot of times, I didn't have to do it because Lucci was actually betting on you know Citigroup going up, um, and so you know while he was doing that, I was uh, selling premium in the fund.
1: Okay, right. So, I mean, I believe your focus nowadays is more in the direction of automated trading rather than sort of discretionary, anyway. Um, What sort of brought about this change? Does it sort of go back to your original education and quantitative finance, or is it sort of the the fund that sort of pushed you in that direction? Um, Like, what brought that on?
2: Um, I guess it was actually Lucci's trading at first. Um, As many have seen, Lucci likes to swing for the fences, and sometimes there's a lot of volatility involved there. There's a lot of... um, emotions involved and, you know, to his credit, you know, there are, you know, very, very few traders that can actually be able to manage their emotions and manage big positions like that, you know, running solo. And uh, it was, um, you know, kind of my duty and kind of, you know, like what I was looking into generally to find ways to get similar returns to Lucci and, uh, you know, do away with a lot of the volatility. Uh, this was paired up with actually meeting Haim Boda, so Haim came out and um, to the Luchi loft and you know it was just machine gunning information and so he kind of explores you know excuse me he explains to us the the ivory tower of trading, and the ivory tower tower of trading was filled with quantitative traders. Where you can have one guy manning a ship, essentially of you know a thousand names that they trade, Uh, and then you know you know a whole bunch of options underneath, and then potentially a whole other hedge book and a completely different market, maybe the Korean markets, and they're able to do this all by you know trading around theoretical values, and they're able to make tons and tons of money. Uh, because again, you know, market making strategies and automated strategies are all about scale, um, and uh, that that thought was just great to me. You know, if I can lever up my money in the right ways, get the right type of portfolio managers in, and uh, you know, have equal or better returns than Lucci himself, and have you know almost zero of the volatility, I look like a golden boy. So. Um, You know, honestly, it was more of me getting tired of some of the volatility and wanting to go, you know, learn more from Haim that I started getting exposed to it. And uh, I got to tell you, the automated world is amazing. Literally, literally amazing. Um, You know, one guy could be quoting, you know, literally a thousand names, Mark can make a thousand names. And if he really wanted to, he could press the stop button. It would just pull all the quotes out, uh, and you could lock in your PL, and you could just be floating there. Whether the market was crashing, you know, a thousand points or not, your PL can be relatively stable through a lot of crazy mess. And um, that's what I was really interested in. And, you know, the, the interesting thing about it is, you know, crossing over from a directional trading, technical trading side to an automated trading side, you you view trading completely differently. Um and I think this is something that the entire industry is going towards. And I think that traders really need to learn some more quantitative skills, at least in the way that they treat their PLs. And at least in the way that they view the rules around how they trade. Um, you know, because one thing that you know, hand traders would do, smart hand traders would do, they'll keep a journal, right? They'll, they'll they'll look at the good trades that they make, think about the money that they've made per week, and then try to do some sort of projection on what their total PL will be over time. Quantitative trading, on the other end, uh, where they're market makers and um, that they can automate a lot of trades, they view trades in a what is my PL per share. What is my PNL per contract? And um, you know, once you start viewing markets this way, it really opens up a whole different aspect of of trading. And you know, one of the things that I dug really into was uh, the fee structures and the microstructure of the entire space. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I help manage right now a, uh, another fund that has a lot of traders, a big group of traders. And I see it from the portfolio aspect as a whole. And what's really funny is that there, there were times where uh, we had relationships where we were selling the flow and uh, getting some rebate back. But that flow was getting completely chopped up. And what ended up happening is that you could see it in the PL. The actual portfolio of, say, a hundred traders is extremely hard to manage and deal with when your flow is being sold, because the PL is just getting killed. Each trade is getting gamed when your flow is getting sold. Um, you know, and so moved around some executing brokers and I'm actually able to connect to uh, IEX, one of the you know the infamous Flash Boys, um, Golden Kids, um, IEX. Um, and the flow stopped being sold, um, or the, the selling of flow was reduced and there is a little bit of juice added to their execution smarts. And what ended up happening is that instead of these traders, you know, whiplashing up 20 grand, down 20 grand, you know, uh, and then being ultimately down a hundred grand type of thing in the entire portfolio, you could actually see complete stabilization, Um, across the board and it would just be like you know they'd be up a couple hundred down a couple hundred and very very manageable and I was actually able to see that over time not even a lot of time but like over six months the trader uh, was actually only losing the spread over the amount of volume he was trading and this is a very hard thing for traders to, to kind of come to terms with when I talk about the spread is that when you go enter into a trade and you're pressing the buy button, you cross the markets, all right? And you've crossed the spread. And just think that over time in six months, what you actually lose is just the spread out of the PL per share that you have traded. Okay, meaning that if you were not crossing the spread on all those trades and you're actually bidding and you got filled on the bid instead of crossing the offer, you would be making money. And this is a way that technical traders have no way of thinking about their trading uh, and they don't even think it matters. And you know, This is kind of how, um, you know, Haim and I would kind of laugh at it, uh, it's kind of ridiculous, but it's kind of the HFT joke, you know, that uh, regular market participants can't even view their trades properly and see that in the very end, it's just about how they interact with the spread. Um, And that that defines the difference between a good trader and a bad trader, you know, 80% of the time.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. Can you just explain a bit more about what selling the flow means or refers to?
2: Sure. So, um, when you go open a brokerage account um, uh, at a lot of these brokerage firms, they have this thing called a smart router, right and the smart router they don't really tell you what the smart router does they just tell you that it's smart and that it's going to make it so that you have free commissions or it's going to give you a rebate of some sort that looks really juicy you know 30 cents per share or whatever have you and what you end up doing here is that when you send your flow through the smart router you actually so remember again the markets are 70 plus percent Um, electronic traders, so a lot of market makers and a lot of really smart participants out there. Um, When you shoot your order down through this router, it flashes to everybody what your intentions are, that you want to buy a thousand shares. Again, think about the spread. Does this market maker, this market maker can essentially look at your flow and say, do I or do I not want to trade against it at this very moment? They could say no, and if all of them say no, they will wait till the price moves. So it goes in their favor that they can say, okay, now I want to get a trade against that thousand shares and I want to flip it for the spread. So you just executed what looks like to be you know a few cents different um, and you got a tiny little rebate for it, uh, but you actually just got gamed. You actually just got filled and then um you know flipped uh for a positive trade for the market maker. Uh, And over time, this bleeds out every single trader. And a lot of times um, during fast-moving markets, right, uh, where traders are most likely to make mistakes on breakouts or breakdowns or buying the dips and all that type of stuff, when markets are moving fast, it's really important that you're able to get the best fill at that time. When you want to buy at 100, you better get filled at 100. Because if you don't and the markets are moving fast, most likely you're gonna make a stupid mistake and chase the name too high. And um, that's what happens when you sell your flow, is that when you actually have a good buy order, you are not gonna get filled on it or you're gonna get filled on a certain percentage of it. Uh, And that's going to cause you to make mistakes. Um, And if you interact directly with the markets, which is relatively tough for a hand trader, you're actually able to go and pick your destination and you don't have to flash your orders to a market maker where you get gamed uh, and you get juked out of good trades.
1: Okay, right. So is there any simple way around this?
2: (laughs) Um. Unfortunately, there currently is no smart way around this right now. Um, there are execution routers out there that may tell you that they uh, are not selling your flow. Um, so Haim actually has a smart router out there um, that can help you execute better. Uh, we actually have technology that we're releasing out that essentially will... When you send your buy order, right? Um, so this is how a super smart router actually helps you. And this is how HFTs execute is that say that you want to buy a breakout at, um, at, uh, at five bucks, right? Um, the bid and the offer are fluctuating. What's going to happen is that this super smart router is going to see that you want to buy at five dollars and it's going to wait till it's the best tick. So it's actually going to tick for you at 498. 4.95 potentially, and then buy for the breakout before five bucks. Um, there are some smart routers out there that do this, but it takes a lot of investigation into, you have to be pushing a lot of volume to even garner any interest from the service providers out there. And that's kind of how I personally think the, the game, quote unquote, is rigged. Uh, it's where you don't as a small trader with a small account or going to a retail broker, you're not going to have access to these type of tools. Um, again, not to shamelessly plug here, but you know, we are planning on releasing this to the public and trying to be you know, kind of the, uh, the Bloomberg for the people and the smart routes for the people. You know, um, But unfortunately, <laughs> for retail traders, there's not much you can do uh, unless you know how to code and access the markets directly. Uh, it's very, very tough.
1: Yeah, okay. Um, so you talked a little bit about breakouts in there and I've heard you speak in the past about how the majority of breakouts fail. Um, do you want to give us a bit of a rundown on the mechanics and the workings behind why these breakouts fail so often?
2: Sure. Um, so I guess the the general idea here is that, you know, there. are are the different types of breakouts that you're looking at, whether it's a continuation breakout or if it's been a long-term trend down and then it's breaking out to the upside to recover. Uh, It's all about the supply and demand at those points. Um, And a lot of times what ends up happening is that traders are always going for every attempt at that breakout. And uh, the general market dynamics at those times are just not met with the right participants. And what I mean by the right participants are that you have to think about, again, the supply and demand during certain price equilibrium points. So, for instance, if I'm, quote, unquote, consolidating between $8 and $10, um, there are buyers and sellers willing to transact at those price points. Um, And unfortunately, a lot of the times when I'm at $10, there are enough sellers to read you know, bring the price back down. And there are enough buyers at $8 to move the price right back up. And this is washing, you know, dumb retail traders back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And, um, you know, at a lot of times at these specific price breakpoints, market makers know that there's a lot of dumb flow coming in. You can actually see it. If you're a tape reader, you can actually see a lot of dumb flow trying to Buy breakouts at those points, uh, and that just does not work. Um, and the unfortunate, you know, statistics here are that I think it's like under twenty-eight percent of breakouts actually work, um, because generally, you know, when markets are fluctuating, they have, they have equilibrium points. Markets are more choppy than they are trending um, in in the intraday space. Um, but yeah, it's uh, generally just pretty tough to, to, to try to go for breakouts, especially when you're not in a trending market.
1: Okay, that's really good. Thanks for, for breaking that down. Um, mm-hmm. Another thing I've often heard you speak about, and that is um, it's important to understand your counterparties and who you're competing against in the market. So do you just want to elaborate on that a little bit more and sort of explain that in a, in a bit more detail?
2: Sure. Um, so to not get too complex with this, um, from the way so transitioning from being a you know a technical trader and somebody who looks at momentum the way that I do, and then also learning about you know stat arb participants, learning about mutual fund participants, learning about scalpers, learning about high frequency traders, looking about vol arb traders. Um, when you are trading in certain timeframes, you are interacting with the markets and you care about prices, um, you know, according to the time frame that you, you're in. And there are other participants that are in the same space as you. Uh, and it's very, very important for you to understand that because this helps dictate a lot of times, you know, where your stops are going to be and understanding kind of, you know, where the day traders are going to care about. Versus where the big mutual funds are going to care about, versus where the stat arb traders are going to care about. So a lot of times, you know, Aaron, like we've talked about in the past, is like, um, you know, when you're going for swing positions, you know, why are you going to set your stops so tight? A lot of times on swing positions, because if you think as a long, longer-term trader, and one that does not care about the current price of the stock or even if it fluctuates 20, 30 cents because you're looking for a $10 gain, you are now interacting with the markets as a certain type of participant. You're a long longer term trader and there are others there with you. And the more you can understand you know, the steam that's behind you or the market participants behind you, the better you're able to avoid bad trades, avoid acting like you're a day trader and act more like a swing trader. And now if you are a day trader, You have to be more price sensitive and more understanding of what the day traders are doing. You know, where are their stops? You know, why are they interacting at these price points? And uh, how can you actually be ahead of the curve? And uh, again, you know, in the end, it's just about being a little bit ahead of the curve and understanding where the market participants are willing to interact with. Yeah,
1: That's, that's really important. So... Um, the the next question I've got, um, I think you'll be able to share some really good advice on this one. Um, and that is, there seems to be like a disconnect between having the knowledge to trade profitably and actually being able to turn that knowledge into a profit. Um, I know a lot of the listeners, um, or the traders who listen to this podcast, are you know, caught on this hurdle. So what do you feel is the best way to overcome this problem? I mean, would you put it? would you simply put it down to screen time or is there something more to it? Uh,
2: you know, it's, it's a combination of screen time and trading live. You know, you can get a lot of screen time in simulation, um, you know, which is kind of misleading because a lot of people think that, you know, if I do well in simulation, I'm going to do well in the real markets. And that's just not the case. You know, I've seen it over and over and over again. Um, and this even goes for those who are just, you know, studying the markets. Just because you can pick up on 400 names, you know, in one night and be able to pick out the best plays and they're all making money the next day. doesn't mean that you can actually make money on it because you don't know how to place the bet at that time. And a lot of times it comes down to uh, your stomach tolerance and how much, um, you know, sensitivity you have to putting your order in. And, you know, I've seen traders make $1,000 every single day on simulation just buying breakouts, you know, uh, because they buy at the right price points, they don't freak out, and they take the, take the name up, you know, they write they it for a point or something. Um, unfortunately, when they're live trading, they don't go for the full size, they don't execute at the right points. They freak out at some points. They go back and forth, wishy-washy, all in, not all in. And they just chop themselves up, all mostly based on, you know, their psychological issues and the inability to get some stomach tolerance underneath them. And, um, you know, that kind of, you know, is the, is the center point for a lot of hand traders out there is actually just your ability to um, – you know, uh, work your psychology out. Uh, in the end, it's you projecting your behavior and uh, your ability to analyze and your ability to hang on um, onto the markets. You are actually projecting your personality onto the markets. I've seen Lucci do this time and time again. When he's in a good mood, I can see the good mood in how he's trading. And if he's in a bad mood, I can see the bad mood in how he's trading just based on a couple of the trades and um it's a really hard thing to quantify and it's a really hard thing to come to grips with uh that you can do all the studying in the world and that you are not going to get it just because you don't have the stomach tolerance or the experience or just the ability to manage your psyche in the markets and um honestly that is uh probably a pairing of coaching and a pairing of screen time and um you know having a little bit of balls you know, putting on some risk, holding on to it, and learning how it feels to have a good trade under your belt versus a whole bunch of bad trades.
1: Yeah, that's really good. Um, so, kind of a little bit similar to that, but why do you believe the majority of traders never see the huge success we set out to achieve in the first place? Um, you know, is it a lack of hustle? Is it not wanting it bad enough? Um, like, what does it boil down to? That's a
2: tough question. Um, I think uh, there's a couple groups of types of traders out there or uh, aspiring traders, right? There's a lot of traders, unfortunately, are looking to get rich quick. So they're always looking for fish out there. They're looking, looking for services that give them picks um, and a lot of times, you know, they get addicted to a couple good trades even though they're losing money over time. Uh, and they go down on this, you know, kind of spiral. You know, I've seen traders go down through, you know, I'm, you know, a, a pump and dump trader. I nailed a good t- couple good trades. I just need a better service provider. And then, you know, they don't own up to the fact that they don't know how to trade. And they're just following everybody's picks. And you have this, you know, kind of uh, vicious cycle of kind of like, a, you know, um, you know, uh, a gambling addict. Uh, where they just continue to find more and more service providers and they dump money into it uh, and they can't come to grips with it. They never ever even get to the point where they can address their own psychology because they're not even really trading. They're just piggybacking on everybody. Uh, I think that's a big majority unfortunately. Uh, Then there are those that are really trying to uh, really trying to trade. Uh, They may open up a prop account they actually go find some good education. They learn some of the best practices, and um, you know, a lot of times, I think the the difficulty for a lot of those traders is, you know, that you know they may not be losing money and they're just scratch, which actually just could just mean that they could, um, you know, uh, be a maker in the markets versus a taker, meaning not crossing the spread, and that will actually turn them into profitable trading um or they don't learn uh real stomach tolerance they always get stuck at this you know 200 500 or 1000 share position area they don't they don't actually come to terms with the fact that you know the reason why they're making mistakes is because they don't have the right stomach tolerance that they cannot just say that because i buy a 1000 at this breakout right now and I can make a couple hundred dollars or break even, uh, that I should just move it to two thousand and that's how I'm gonna make money. It doesn't work like that. You know, for for a hand trader, you are not what we call linearly scalable because your emotional and stomach tolerance is not scaled that way. Um, they don't they don't ever learn kind of the art of working in order into a trade. Um Letting trades breathe a little bit more, and these are more professional uh, hand trader ways of looking at the markets, which is you know tougher to quantify. But at least you know it's 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 kind of like a it's a it's an area where it's you know to scale up your trading um, and to actually turn yourself from you know break even to profitable, uh, you have to really learn a, a little bit more about understanding yourself, and you know a lot of traders again, unfortunately, are not in the camp of learning how to fish. Um, they don't look in the right areas. And the problem most of the time is just right there. It's just them. Um, and being able to project you know, properly onto the markets and being able to kind of look back and say, this morning I did not have a good morning, and so therefore I'm going to make sure I trade 50% uh, less than I usually trade. Um, it 's really hard for traders to come to terms with the fact that it 's actually their own ego that prevents them from being successful um, because in the end you are placing bets you are a lot of times trying to match your ego with the next best guy you know who 's trading alongside you and uh, it 's a very difficult you know um, kind of path to go down because you know, you can get traders that go seek out coaching in psychology, and there's a breaking down of their psyche, and then they actually lose the ability to trade. And then there are those that can actually reflect better and learn something from this coaching and be able to make the next step. Um, so, again, you know, I think it's, you know, one, the environment that you're in. Do not surround yourself by trash. You know, surround yourself by real traders. And two, it's uh, understanding your psychology, understanding who you are um, as a person, you know, and what your lifestyle is and what your behavior is and learning how to use that to your best ability. You know, I know that, um, you know, I hate breakouts. So if it's a breakout market, I'm actually going to scale back. Uh, I love when the markets are choppy. I'm a premium seller, so I know that at those times I should be moving up my exposure. I should be, you know, playing a little bit more aggressively because that's my type of market. Uh, unfortunately, traders, you know, in the first year or even two years, are always just looking for the hottest thing that's trading out there. Always looking for a hot pick, and they don't ever get to the point where they can actually try to do a little bit of reflection. Um, and uh, that's just the unfortunate nature of the greed uh, that is sold out there. Uh, even there's just the greed of going into the markets. Um, it's very, very hard to be reflective, and um, you know that's just one of the unfortunate truths for aspiring young traders, or even older traders. You know, it's sometimes even tougher with older traders that are trying to make it.
1: Yeah, I think that's really well said, Pete. So thanks for for really breaking that down. Um, Now, we sort of spoke a little bit about your trading earlier and how you're sort of moving towards sort of automated trading and that sort of thing. So how important do you think it is for new traders of today to maybe not necessarily start, but to consider that learning how to code some sort of trading system may be a beneficial move in the future?
2: Uh, I think it's... It is the future. Uh, automated trading, um, as you can see from the stories of pit traders, you know, completely decimated into electronic traders. And now even hand-clicking traders are going to get wiped out into automated trading. Um, you know, I'm sure there will be services out there that will do a lot of the automation for you eventually, where you can say, uh, potentially, you know, I just want to be bullish on Priceline. And it will actually go look for quantitatively the best technical setups to go long a certain trade, uh, and it'll automatically set stops. It'll automatically do a lot of that. Uh, I think that is a convenience that the high frequency trading, automated trading space is slowly going to provide to a lot of traders out there. But I, unfortunately, you know, this takes away from uh, your ability to uh, you know really be specific. Uh, and unfortunately, the art of trading is going to become more of the mechanics of trading. Um, and uh, I think that if you want to be, again, you know, I know there are, are tons of lazy traders out there that make money and a ton of very meticulous traders out there that make money. And if you really want to know what's going on with your trades and what you're doing, I think it's imperative that you at least get a little bit of exposure to systematic trading. And that doesn't even mean that you have to learn to code. It just means that you have to understand what we call um, pseudo-logic or pseudo-code where you have um, you know decision trees if this happens then this happens uh, and then try to have a unified type of uh, process for how you're entering trades and exiting trades and you know Aaron you may see this as you know something that's relatively familiar to you because I think you're pretty systematic with your trading but the majority of traders don't even understand that they can't even think of the fact that you know their quote-unquote signal to enter a trade should also be the signal to exit a trade. Um, Or that, you know, the risk parameters uh, generally can be dynamic just by rules. Um, These are all foreign concepts. And unfortunately, you know, uh, they're going to be left in the dust. And if they aren't, then a service provider is going to come to them. Just like how you have robo-advisors in the mutual fund space. It's just going to be like, okay, do you want to be a day trader? Just tell me if you're bullish or bearish on a stock and my machine will do all the work. Uh, personally, I don't, I don't like that. Um, as a trader myself, I would like to know more uh, about the actual trades and how it's being worked and the logic behind it. It's just something that interests me. Uh, but I think it's really going to be um, kind of you know the new norm uh, relatively soon in trading. Uh, either you could be a lazy trader and tell the machine what you want it to do, or you could interact with something what we call an API that you can actually plug in and really define how you're interacting with the markets.
1: Okay, sure. So if um if this is something that listeners are interested in or would like to find out more, where would you suggest is perhaps a good place to start learning about that side of trading?
2: Um you can check out sanglucci.com. we cover a lot of uh you know electronic trading and momentum trading um you can check out high bodex stuff um and uh find people on twitter you know follow Ezra Rappaport and um you know kind of just see what the entire community is doing out there uh, it's pretty tough though i would say to find the right spots um, to to you know get into the forefront of automated trading, uh, but again, you know is a great spot. Uh, come check it out. We we show a lot of great things. Uh, we walk the line between momentum traders, directional traders, and automated trading. Um, and I think a lot of times, at least in my field, what I've learned is that um, you know it's very difficult to have developers and automation experts be able to communicate effectively with a trader, uh, a trader who doesn't really feel like they have a system. And uh, I think Segluji does a pretty good job of uh, making both worlds meet.
1: Okay, great, great. So just one more question before we go to the closing bell. And that is um, looking back on where you've come from and where you're at right now, do you think your view on money... Or do you think you view money differently to the average person, seeing as you had that pretty humble start and introduction to the markets?
2: Uh, yes, I would say so. Um, the really, This is almost something that I would say that I'm still learning to come to grips with. But, you know, when I see Luchy's P&Ls, and even the group of, uh, you know, great portfolio managers that we have and their P&Ls. And I'm seeing, you know, $100,000, $200,000 or even, you know, like a $20,000 loss, you know, a quarter million dollar loss. Um, it makes me look at money differently when I'm interacting with it in the outside world. You know, I don't understand... Um, or I have less of an appreciation of those that look at money as in, you know, uh, I make, you know, $20 an hour or $13 an hour. That just does not compute for me. Uh, and I think that's also, you know, um, uh, kind of a factor coming in as a, an entrepreneur and, uh, and startup culture on how viewing money is. But, um, I think this is something that all traders are going to have problems with. You know, uh, they're going to be spending money on a credit card and then say, oh, I can make that back in one trade. And um, it's it's interesting because that trait um, a lot of times motivates the trader to actually make the step forward in making bigger trades, potentially better trades, a lot of times worse trades. Uh, but sometimes that's what it is that pushes them to the next level. Um but at the same time, in the real world, um, you know, it, it, really, uh, it really makes it so that you're, you're different from a lot of people. Uh, and I'm sure there's a lot of traders that, you know, who have been around long enough that have friends that are not even in trading. Um, you know, some things just don't compute anymore, you know, like the way somebody looks at money, you know, when picking up a bar tab or uh, talking about paying bills Um honestly I haven't really come to terms with it. Uh I'm I'm still figuring it out. Um, you know, I put some very, very um interesting parameters around my own spending now where you know Charlie uh my business partner, you know, I make sure that he's actually holding the majority of my money. Um because I know that, you know, if I have too much money in my bank account, I'm just gonna start looking at it like, okay, you know, this is just a few grand here and, you know, I can just have one of these portfolio managers make it back and it feels no different for me, you know. And um, as, a, as a trader, I think it's really, really important to be able to, you know, one, stay diversified and kind of, um, you know, malleable in your brain by interacting with others that are not in the markets, but also, you know, staying humble to the money dollar, you know. Um, unfortunately, again, you know, interacting in the markets, you are surrounded by greed and you're surrounded surrounded by sharks. And uh, sooner or later, you know, you will be consumed by it and there will be something that triggers you in that direction. And I think the one of the only ways that you can stay out of that is by surrounding yourself with a diverse group of people uh, in a diverse environment. And like we talked about in the past, you know, it's uh, you are a product of your environment and you have to make the best of it. So make sure that you are, um, you know, being active in placing the right people around yourself.
1: Yeah, that's really good. So um, this sort of brings us towards the end of the interview, Pete. So, um, you know, really appreciate you coming on and, and thanks again. So we'll just um, take it to the closing, Bill, which is just a few short questions to take us out. Um, and sure. The first one would be, is there one piece of advice that has stuck with you ever since you read it or heard it?
2: Uh, ever since i read it or heard it um, yes it's by Bruce Lee be like water you need to always be able to adjust to the situations um, whether it's your trading plan or the way you treat your life or the way that you go into deals the way you talk to your brokers to your girlfriend to your boyfriend You know, you must always keep an open mind. There is always an additional angle somewhere. Uh, There is always at some point for you to be more humbling, uh, always points for you to be more aggressive. And, um, you know, it's kind of Zen-ish or Buddhist-ish. But, you know, being like water, you know, you can just like Bruce Lee said, um, you can fit into a teapot or you can crash, you know. Uh, And you have to be able to do those things and that has to be able to be natural to you. And uh, I think it's super duper important for uh, just being a market participant generally.
1: I like it, cool. Um, Is there one book that you believe is a solid read for any new to intermediate trader?
2: New to intermediate traders? No. No. (laughs) <laughs> no? uh, well I no. mean you're not
1: a big reader are you so that, that probably makes sense <laughs> uh,
2: you know I, I am generally in the camp of um, if you're reading read something where somebody is spewing out knowledge at that time you know uh, and if you find them interesting and you see that there's good information investigate more behind that person I am extremely, extremely in the camp of, you know, finding a coach and finding a mentor where they can give you real life examples. Unfortunately, a lot of the books out there talk about what's happened in the past and those that have made it in the past, you know, and you can't get access to them anymore. And it's almost like it's always selling you dreams, you know, Um, you know, and and that's okay. You know, I would say that, you know, uh, reminiscence of a stock operator, dark pools, um, you know, St. Lucie's Introduction to Options, you know, Surviving Trading, uh, those are all relatively good books. Um, but, you know, the one thing to be careful about books is that, uh, they are historical accounts. They will drive you to want to desire more, which is good, but always try to find someone who's able to give you real life examples, one on one coaching, um, hold your hand a little bit and experience these things with you. Um, because, you know, in trading, again screen time and emotional intelligence Uh, a lot of that just has to be through constant reinforcement you know back and forth back and forth back and forth you know uh, the best pianists out there you know a lot of times they just have to spend a ton of time with their piano teachers and then you know reading music theory and then going to getting a little education from music theorists you know um, it's not all about sticking your nose into a book it's about having real examples in front of you real mentors and real participants that can really accelerate your trading.
1: that's good i like it so last one knowing everything you do now is there anything you would have done differently come day one again
2: not at all i think that um you know if you if you if you ask me this question Three years ago, I would have said I wanted to do everything differently um, because that was, you know, it's a crazy time in my life. But uh, I think right now, um, with where I am mentally in my head and where, you know, now I've taken on a ton of responsibility, uh, whether it's a good experience or bad, there's always something to learn from it. And uh, it's really important to. You know, unfortunately, there's people think that I'm the consummate optimist, and I I don't think that's the case. I think that you know, in the end, you know, being like water and being able to always wake up the next day, be um, motivated. You have to be able to find every ounce of juice and every ounce of positivity out of every experience, and there will always be, no matter what. It may be very difficult for you to see at the time. But in the end, uh, there is something there. You just got to find it. And if you can learn from it, reflect on it, and, uh, you know, take it to another day of your life, it's a great thing.
1: Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. Um, All right, Pete. Well, that that brings us to the end of the interview. So, um, I'll just mention that um, we're still running the giveaway for the Lucci Method. So, um, maybe do you just want to give us a quick overview on, on what that actually includes?
2: Sure. The Lucci method uh, is our flagship product. Um, You get uh, umpteen hours, it was hundreds of hours of time with with Lucci himself. Uh, One on one uh, during weekend sessions, uh, small group sessions. Uh, You get to be in a chat room that's not your typical chat room because you're actually listening to Lucci actually work into positions and out of positions. That's great reinforcement. Um, you have, uh, tons of modules of videos, a video vault. Um, uh, we have this, uh, program called LearnDash, where you can actually, essentially it feels like an online, uh, college course where you finish questions. There are quizzes, um, you can bring them to the weekend sessions and, uh, overall I think it's one of the best products out there. Um, even competing with a lot of these prop firms that teach tape reading, they teach you tape reading in a box, you know, because their incentive as broker dealers out there is to get you to trade a lot of volume. You know, our incentive is to grow the right community, and uh, that is through trying to teach you, again, being like water uh, methodologies that you can take to whether you're a breakout trader or you're a dip buyer. Um, the whole idea with the Luchi method is to really bring you to one community and have it be the last community you have to join because again, we're, we're here to help.
1: Yeah. So if anyone wants to enter into that, just go to chatwithtraders.com forward slash giveaway. Uh, when you get there, you'll need to answer a very, very simple question, a multi-choice answer. Uh, then you'll just need to put in your email address. Um, and once you put in your email address, you'll get a unique URL. You need to take that URL and just share it on Facebook, Twitter, anywhere you can think of because any person you get to enter into the giveaway through your unique URL, you'll score another 10 entries. So if you get 10 people to enter, you'll have 100 times the chances of winning because if you just put your email in and do nothing else, you've got one entry. Um, So get busy, guys. That ends, I think, in about eight days from now i can't remember what the date was but um yeah so chatwithtraders.com forward slash giveaway and um pete before we let you go do you just want to share with us where we can uh find out more and maybe follow along with you
2: sure uh you guys can follow me on twitter pz underscore sl you can go to sanglucci.com um that is my team that is my home Uh, You can find out all about what we do, uh, the funds we operate, you know, the media we get access to, all of it.
1: Awesome. All right, Pete, thanks again. Uh, It's been real and let's talk soon.
2: All right. Have a good one, Aaron.
0: You've come to the end of this episode of Chat with Traders, but don't worry, more great episodes are on the way. To stay updated with each great new episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes, and we'd love it if you leave us a rating and review. We'll see you next
3: time on Chat with Traders.